sharper iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I am your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, October 18th, we're studying Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 to 10. In today's text, the author of Hebrews dives into a topic that he has brought up previously in this sermon, the priesthood of the order of Melchizedek. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Luke Zimmerman. Pastor Zimmerman serves at Calvary Evangelical Lutheran Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Pastor Zimmerman, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Uh, It's excellent to be back, Pastor Apple. So as we get started today, Pastor Zimmerman, help us with some context from the book of Hebrews, and maybe at least bring us up to speed with a little bit of Old Testament background that we might need. We've heard this Melchizedek name before, but this is where the author really dives in. So help us with the context and background we need to know. Okay. Uh, in the greater sense of the letter to the Hebrews, which, which um, you know you refer to as a sermon, and, and, the, and that's a pretty typical way of uh, speaking about this text. Um, of course, like in, in the grand scheme of things, the author is trying to uh, help convince his uh, audience why they should not abandon their belief that Jesus is the Christ and that he has uh, fulfilled the Old Testament promises made concerning the Christ and that his work is the work of salvation. And that is where the Lord's forgiveness and salvation is being conferred to you. Therefore, the idea of trying to return back to the old system, uh, the system of the temple, the Levitical system, is a very bad choice for you to make. That's what he's trying to convince them of. In one part of the argument, which kind of runs from part of chapter 4 through chapter 7, is a discussion about the priesthood that Jesus holds. And one of the questions that's going to be made is, is the priesthood and service that Jesus holds and executes, is it equivalent to, at the very least, if not greater than, which is going to be the argument that the author is going to make, greater than the system that was set up in the Old Testament that was going to point towards Christ's work, the work that the Messiah would accomplish, the sacrifice he would he would ultimately offer and therefore because it is greater there's no sense going back to the lesser now it's not that the lesser didn't have any legitimacy it it certainly did that was indeed how the lord was working for his people in the past but now that what this past system pointed to has been fulfilled don't go back to the lesser Okay, so so with this, you're going to have to start speaking about the priesthood of the Old Testament, what you might call um, Aaronic priesthood. That that's typically a term. Levitical priesthood. That that's usually the other kind of term we we, we use to describe it. 
that is the order of service and its cultic acts, all the things it was supposed to carry out that is outlined for us in the books of Moses. So some of it in the book of Exodus, some of it in the book of Numbers, but a whole mess of it really in great detail in the book of Leviticus. And so this had the Lord's endorsement. The, the, the Lord set this up. And part of the issue you're going to realize is that if this is going to be carried out, you had to be part of the sons of Aaron to be the actors of this, and Jesus isn't. So, what type of priest is he? Is he a priest that is ignoring what the Lord set up in, in, in the books of Moses? And we would say, no, certainly not. But is he perhaps a greater priest, a, a priest of a different order? A, a, a priest that has the Lord's endorsement and he has been given an activity to carry out that was mentioned or at least foreshadowed, alluded to, referenced, prophesied, all, all those words pointing towards something in the past that was saying this is going to be accomplished in the future. And this is where the, the author of Hebrews brings up this quotation from Psalm 110, that the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That's Psalm 110, verse 4. And, and that's, been, that's been mentioned in this, this section of Hebrews where this discussion of the priesthood um, that Jesus holds is, is, uh, is laid out for the audience. That's right. That's right. So Psalm Psalm 110 verse 4 has been quoted already, and now finally the author is going to dig in a little bit to why he brought that up and who this Melchizedek fellow is. So I think I'll, I'll go ahead and read the text, and as we hear Melchizedek in the first verse, then you can tell us who this Melchizedek fellow is. So Hebrews 7, beginning at verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. But resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was, to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi, who receive the priestly office, have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these are also descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham, and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives." One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. That is our text for today. That's Hebrews 7, verses 1 to 10. There's a lot of fun things in this text, Pastor Zimmerman. 
and it all revolves around Melchizedek. And if you missed him in Sunday school when you were growing up, I think we can forgive you for that because he doesn't show up very much in the Old Testament. So tell us about Melchizedek. Where does he show up? What happens? And then we'll talk about how the writer of Hebrews applies that. All right. Well, Melchizedek is an individual who is recorded in the book of Genesis. So if our listeners would go and get their Bibles and open up to Genesis chapter 14, that's where we'll find Melchizedek mentioned. It's the, it's the only place where narrative about Melchizedek is mentioned. Okay, So, so there is the allusion to the order of Melchizedek in right. Psalm 110, as we said. But, but the place where the Melchizedek uh, account, uh, any, anything about him and his actions is found in Genesis 14. Now, our listeners are probably familiar with Abraham, obviously. Yes, yes. good. And uh, they might be familiar with uh, Abraham's nephew Lot and all the stuff Lot gets into. You, you read through Genesis and, and, and Abraham's nephew is always getting into some problem, some trouble. And in Genesis 14, what you find out is that Abraham's nephew Lot gets, gets caught up in the midst of like some Canaanite tribal warfare where you've got like four warlords or kings fighting against three and it's a mess and Abram rescues him. And Abram is allowed to do this uh, because the Lord is with him. Uh, so, so, so the Lord gives him victory. And, that, and that's what we find in Genesis 14. And at the tail end of that incident, we find out that after Abram returns from defeating some of these Canaanite kings and rescuing Lot, he also has some of the stuff because when you fight, when you fight wars, you get to keep the stuff you, you, you know, you, you beat somebody, you get to take their things. That's, that's, that's the rules of ancient warfare. That's right. Okay. So he, he's, he's coming back to wh where he is supposed to be, and he gets met by the king of Sodom. And we already know Sodom's going to be a problem <laughs> later, later on in Genesis. Um, but he's also met by this individual called Melchizedek who is described as the king of Salem in Genesis 14. Uh, he brings bread and wine out to Abram. He is called in the book of Genesis, priest of the God most high. That's a, that's a description of his role. And we're told in verse 19 that Melchizedek blessed Abram. He said, blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And then he continues on in verse 20. He worships the God most high. He says, blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. A, a statement about what the Lord, the, the, the God that Abram worships and that Melchizedek also worships, has done for Abram. And then Abram gives a tenth of all the spoils of the war that he had earned and gives it to Melchizedek, a tithe. And so that's the record of Melchizedek in the book of Genesis. And from that incident, what you start to see 
is that the details about his role, the details about his title, details about where he rules, details about his origin or lack thereof in the record, and then details about the blessing he issues to Abram, the similar worship that he offers like Abram would worship, and then the tithing that Abram gives are all then used by the author of Hebrews as pointing to Melchizedek as a priest in an order greater than the order established by the Lord in the Levitical law. All right. So you, you've laid out very well the narrative there in Genesis 14, which admittedly is short, but from that short narrative, the writer of Hebrews is going to provide a lot of application. Again, just to keep this in mind, with the goal of showing that Jesus being in the order of Melchizedek and a priest in that order, that is what we need because the Levitical priesthood or the Aaronic priesthood, whichever way you want to refer to that, there was something that that couldn't do. Jesus being a priest in this order, he can do that. And that's kind of where this argument is headed. Right now, we're basically laying out the case for why this order of Melchizedek is superior and how that shows up in this narrative in Genesis 14. So with that in mind, then, that, that narrative in Genesis 14 really is the background for verse 1 of chapter 7. And then the, the writer starts to apply this as he continues into verse 2. So to him, to Melchizedek, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. So let's talk about this matter of, of tithing that happens here. Why is that significant? Okay, so tithing is going to be something that when you actually look at the Mosaic Law, so, so when, when, when the uh, rules of worship are established by uh, the Lord uh, and, and given to his people, when, when the Aaronic priesthood is established, the Levitical priesthood is established, there's going to be awful lot of mention about tithing. There's going to be just all sorts of things where you say, this is what you are to do. And, and in fact, this is what all the people who are descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are to do as part of their worship of the Lord. And it's done through the system that the Lord established. And it actually benefits then uh, the tribe of Levi that, that when the Lord actually brings them into uh, the promised land and gives them portions of the land, the Levites don't actually get territory. Uh, they're, they're set apart to be um, his, his, uh, his servants, uh, priests in, in one part, uh, service in the tabernacle or temple in, in another. Um, and so they are they're instruments through which the Lord in this system he st establishes uh, brings his benefits. And then as part of like, almost like Thanksgiving for this, in, in a response to this, uh, the tithe is supposed to be given. That's, that's really kind of what's being set up uh, by the Lord. And so everyone, if you're going to be reading about giving a tenth of everything, would recognize this as um, either an act of worship or, or an act of um, what we might call like adoration, dedication. This, this, is, this is what the people who belong to the Lord do um, when they have received good things from the Lord and they are recognizing uh, his work among them. And that's just kind of what the Lord sets up. All right, so that matter of tithing, which is mentioned there, is going to become even more important as the writer goes on later, and we'll describe how that makes 
the order of Melchizedek better or superior to the order of Levi. So we'll hold on to that thought for later in our conversation. There also in verse 2, as the writer begins to tell us more about Melchizedek, this is the second half of that verse, he says that Melchizedek is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. So we've got two different considerations here concerning Melchizedek, first by translation of his name, then second by where he's king and what those things mean. We need to do probably a little bit of work at Hebrew here. Pastor Zimmerman, help us out. Okay, so basically what the author of Hebrews does is takes apart literally the, the, name, the name of Melchizedek himself. Uh, so that's, that's a Malkiv, meaning king, and then Sedek, uh, if you get the pronunciation right, or also you put them together, Melchizedek. It, it's like what the old electric company, right? You know, uh, for our older for our older listeners, right? Okay. Um, so, so if you take the two parts of the name, it, you have king from uh, Malki and then Sedek meaning meaning righteousness. Therefore, his name literally means uh, king of righteousness. And then the fact that he is the king of Salem, uh, Salem, of course, uh, from uh, Shalem, peace in, in Hebrew. And so not only in the sense of like a place name, it's, 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 actually, it's actually the location uh, that will be Jerusalem, it's, it, which is kind of an expansion on the name. Um, but when you have him there, is if he's the king of Salem, which means peace, he can be considered king of peace. And when you start pulling apart those names, and, and, and etymology is, is neat. And often... Um, we kind of run over it more than the uh, more ancient Near Eastern people would have uh, in, in the way we think. Um, and that might be to our detriment, I, I would say. Uh, here, the author of Hebrews says we, we shouldn't run over them. We shouldn't just ignore that. We should actually think about those titles. And when you start pulling apart those names and titles, when, when you start thinking about or what might be triggered in your mind, which is a good way of speaking of it, are these tend to be characteristics or titles or phrases that are tied to the Messiah in the Old Testament. Hmm. And some of our listeners, if, if they remember going especially to worship in the season of Advent and then that run up into Christmas, very frequently what we will have in either the scripture readings or parts of the liturgical service or the psalms that we sing are going to be references to Things like steadfast love and faithfulness meet, righteousness and peace kiss each other, from Psalm 85, mm. which is a, a typical Advent psalm. Or in that Christmas Eve, kind of in that in the in the later service, usually on the 24th of December, that the reading from Isaiah 9. To us a child is born. To us the Son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And, and maybe even some of our listeners belong to Lutheran churches called Prince of Peace. That's, that's where they get that name. 
uh, from Jeremiah 23, a, a reading typical in Advent, an Old Testament reading from Advocate, uh, Advent. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. He shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in his land. And in his days, Judah will be saved, Israel will dwell securely, and this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. And then, of course, you have in, in Zechariah 9 that the, the, the king coming to you, the, the, the king uh, with salvation and, and humble, and he will rule. He's the, and he's ruling from Jerusalem. And, and, and these things, when we, when, we, when we remember these details that the Lord gives, uh, uh, these prophetic statements or, or, or these clues dropped about what he's going to do and, and the figure through whom he's going to do it, we're, we're pointed towards the Messiah. But now, when we consider the Old Testament narrative here with Melchizedek in it, We've got this guy, and he's bearing he's bearing names that are also like well, but that sounds like what the Messiah should be. That sounds mm. that sounds like what should the Christ should be, and this is where we start talking about in our understanding of the Old Testament that the reality of Christ, who he is, his identity, his work. These things which were eternal and eternally foreknown, that, that, that the Lord always knew this is what he was going to do, that we find clues to it in either direct statements, which the Lord makes, like direct promises, but then we also see patterns or types of actions taking place or figures who... who who kind of resemble the Christ in a way. They're not the Christ, they're lesser than him, but they're pointing towards this great one who's going to come. Hmm. And here in Melchizedek, with, 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 his, with his name and title, you kind of see that pattern. And it's really about like the royal Messiah. And yet, as amazing as that is, it's almost like the author of Hebrews just kind of, well, it's there, but we're just going to kind of set it aside. <laughs> because as much as that's interesting, you got to deal with the priesthood of Melchizedek right. yet. So, right. so as much as it's wonderful to see these things tied to maybe the royal Messiah, that's not even really where the author of Hebrews goes with it. We shouldn't yeah. ignore it, but right. it's not the main thrust of where he's going to go. Right. Well, and I think the the nature of Melchizedek, both as the king and the priest, is one reason why he makes a lot of sense to show up here in the book of Hebrews. Although, you know, for us, Melchizedek and, and his role in the narrative seems rather small, the fact that he is both king and priest, I think, makes him near perfect for the purposes of the, the sermon that's being preached here, because the royal nature of Christ and the priestly nature of Christ are both key aspects of what he's trying to communicate. He's especially talked about the kingly nature of Christ in the first couple of chapters. He's been emphasizing much more the priestly nature of Christ. And, and throughout the Old Testament, Melchizedek, as minor of a figure as he seems, probably exemplifies the best figure in the Old Testament. I can think of, you know, there's at least one time where David, as a king, does some stuff that really only the priest should do. But for the most part, he stays in his lane, and Saul is a king, you know, he gets in trouble when he starts to be right. like a priest. 
I, I don't know of, I can't think of a better example in the Old Testament where, where someone acts as both king and priest in a completely authorized way other than Melchizedek. Yeah, but the only other one, um, would, and, and we don't use the term king for him, I suppose, but um, I guess in some ways uh, Samuel carries a little bit of that. He's, he's sure. a genealogical prophet. And Same course, with Moses, Moses, too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, but it's kind of rare to see that combination. And, and I think, I think that's, that's, that's what's not to be ignored. Um, even though it's only described in just that one little incident, it, it's definitely not to be ignored. And the author of Hebrews is saying, no, don't ignore this. Yeah. No, 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 no. We, 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 need, we need to talk about it, um, and, and we need to emphasize it, and especially we need to emphasize why this one who is not a Levite, who, who's not from this line, right. um, can rightly be called a priest of the Most High God or God Most High, and it, and is not doing it wrongly right 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 and unless we you know it, as we've been saying this is the one place where melchizedek shows up in the narrative but we also should not forget what the writer of hebrews has already quoted and will quote again from psalm 110 that the lord himself has highlighted this priestly order from melchizedek and so it, it's not like the writer of hebrews is just pulling the stuff out of thin air he's got the lord's own authorization from psalm 110 to to talk about this in this way Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to we're going to dive more into some of the ways that he preaches Melchizedek as the better priest than Aaron and then how Jesus is going to be in that order. We're going to look at more of that on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Luke Zimmerman this morning. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Lutheran Church Extension Fund exists to support Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and church workers. How do we do this? Your investment with LCEF makes it possible for LCMS churches, schools, organizations, and church workers to receive low-cost loans for new and growing ministries. And faithful Lutherans like you, church members and church workers alike, make that possible when you invest with LCEF. Learn more at lcef.org. LCF is a nonprofit religious organization. Therefore, LCF investments are not FDIC insured bank deposit accounts. This is not an offer to sell investments or solicitation to buy. LCF will offer and sell its securities only in states where authorized. The offer is made solely by LCF's offering circular. Investors should carefully read the offering circular, which more fully describes associated risks. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, October 18th. We're studying Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 to 10 with Pastor Luke Zimmerman. He serves at Calvary Evangelical Lutheran Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Pastor Zimmerman, prior to the break, we went through verse 2. In verse 3, the writer of Hebrews tells us about Melchizedek, that he is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Now, this, in my <laughs> experience, is one of the most confusing parts of this chapter. Melchizedek doesn't have a mom or a dad, doesn't have a beginning or end. What What is going on here? All right. 
it looks like the emphasis that's being made here is on the lack of genealogy that Melchizedek has in the scriptures. And you compare that to the order of priests uh, in the Aaronic priesthood, Levitical service, where genealogy is key. It is required. It, it, it's, a, it's a mandated thing. In fact, unlike our listeners uh, who might have pastors from all sorts of different backgrounds where you have people like, where, when, did, where, when did you decide to attend seminary and things? And they'd be like, well, I, I, you know, I felt led to go there because people from my church encouraged me and things like that, which is actually typical for, for, for most of us. But then be like, um, but then some of us would be like, well, I, that happened, but then, you know, it's, it's also, I was raised in the parsonage. I, my father is a, a minister. I, like in my case, I can say that my, my father is a pastor and my grandfather is a, is a minister too. And he worked in the colleges of the, of the, of the, of the, of the synod and things like that. You'd be like, oh, well, it was like the family business. And it's like, well, not, not, not exactly. Right. Uh, but in the old Testament, it certainly was in the Levitical a system it absolutely is uh, the family business, not because the family decided it, but because the Lord Himself decided it. So when you would look at the priesthood of uh, Aaron, he is set aside. Book of Exodus, the Lord speaks to Moses, says, "I'm going to consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar." And then Aaron and his sons are going to consecrate to serve me as priests. And that's just the way it is. That's the, that's, that's the Lord's decision. He has set it up. And then they consecrate them in um, Exodus 40. The direction is given. In Leviticus 8, you can read about where that takes place. Then also in the book of Numbers, there's a whole big thing in Numbers chapters 3 and 4 about the whole tribe of Levi being set aside to be of service to the Lord. And not only are there descriptions about what they're going to do, there's also the descriptions of here's all the sub-tribes of Levi and the whole family tree is listed out there. You know, they don't have to go to like 23andMe and get their DNA, kind of things like, like we do, or Ancestry.com. It's all laid out there. And then... Um, later on, you know, when everything everything goes to shambles, right? When the Lord's people are just finally kind of ignoring Him all and His ways, and the Lord sends the Babylonians in to destroy the temple, and they take all the sacred vessels away, and then they are stuck in Babylon for a while, but then they are allowed to come back after seventy years. And one of the things is like, well, who's going to serve as priests? And well, Ezra and Nehemiah, they've got the list, and here's the people of the right genealogy, and they can be priests and Levites because they got the right line. And then if you're not in the right line, you can't be it, and that's just the way it is, right? Because the Lord set it up. And Melchizedek has like none of that. None of it. None of it. And and, and yet he is. What? The description. Priest of the Most High God or God Most High. Mm -hmm. And not wrongly. See, that, right. that this, is the, this is the thing. It's because it, it's seen in the worship that Abraham gives 
that this is not seen as like, oh, he's, he, he, he claims to be a priest of this Most High God, but he really isn't. No. Um, he blesses the Most High God and also gives a blessing from the Most High God. And rightly he does this, even though he has none of the genealogy that later on would be so vitally important under the Aaronic priesthood, under the Levitical system. Right. So, so just to, to reiterate that, then, when it says he's without father or mother or genealogy, that's not to say that he didn't have a mom or a dad. He did. But the scriptures don't record that for us. And that's not to say that he wasn't born and didn't die, but the scriptures don't record that for us. And if, if that's the right way to understand it, which I, I really think it is, especially when you compare that to, say, Aaron, the initial high priest, that's very striking because we know Aaron's mom and dad. And we know, I don't think his birth is recorded, but his death is definitely recorded in the scriptures. So to compare, to see that about Melchizedek, look, Moses took the time to tell you about the death of Aaron and his mom and dad. He didn't write that down about Melchizedek. Here's something you need to pay attention to, because that's going to teach you something about why this order of priesthood, which Jesus has, is better than the order of priesthood given to Levi and Aaron. Right. I think also, you know, the idea without father or mother, I mean, it's, it's interesting. That's the description um, that, you know, kind of Esther has, although it's mm. said that her father and mother died. It, 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 it's mentioned there. I mean, so, so just because you had that phrase without father or mother doesn't mean you, 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 you showed up out of nowhere. No, right. he, he's a real human and he showed up. And, right. and, and humans have fathers and mothers because that's the way the Lord, uh, as, as much as the Lord had all the detail of genealogy for the, for the priesthood in the, in the Levitical system, in an even a greater system, in, in like just the human being system of existence, humans have fathers and mothers. That's just, just it's the, way he, the way he has set this up. Right, right. So these things that are written about Melchizedek are intended primarily to teach us something about what it means that Jesus has this order of priesthood, and not so much to, say, speculate about Melchizedek, as has happened sometimes in the history of the Church? Yeah, because there have been suggestions of Melchizedek being all sorts of things. <laughs> and it's interesting that even our, our ancient forefathers in the faith had to deal with issues that were being raised by individuals starting to claim things about Melchizedek, try, trying to use this verse from Hebrews mm-hmm. and making all sorts of negative hay with it. Bad hay, you know, negative poisonous hay, hay you would <laughs> okay. say. All right, there we go. Uh, all right. Because right. um, you could read... Um, actually about a, a, a group of, uh, of Gnostic heretics called Melchizedekians. Um, and we actually have extant writings from um, a defender of the faith, uh, uh, one called Epiphanius of, of, of Salamis, who actually has to write directly against it. He actually has like a, a text called Against the Melchizedekians. Hmm. Now, now why, why would you be writing against Melchizedekians? It's like, no, not because... Because Melchizedek didn't exist, not not because he 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 is a priest of the of God Most High, uh, but because people were putting forward this idea there's an order of Melchizedek, and Melchizedek is a a power greater than Christ, or he's part of the heavenly order that descended to earth, or he's an angel, 
Or he's the Holy Spirit? Or he's the Father of Jesus? He's the Son of God? And, and, and these concepts that were being put forward as erroneous concepts missed the point of the figure of Melchizedek and what the order of Melchizedek actually is. It's not that he is greater than Christ. He's lesser than Christ, but he is pointing to Christ. And what seems to be with Melchizedek, what seems to be as we draw things from his name, as we draw things like the absence of genealogy, absence of lineage, absence of mention of his uh, origin or death, so, so birth or death, actually takes on a reality in Christ. The, the, the one who is the incarnate Lord, the, the, the one who is begotten uh, from the substance of the Father before all ages, but also happens to be man who is uh, born from the substance of his mother in this age. Uh, the, the, the one who actually dies, that, that what happens on Calvary is not a fraud, it's not a fake. He, you know, he, he didn't just faint or something, you know, but he actually died. Uh, the, the Lord God assumes humanity and, it, and is able to uh, take on death and endure it, but then also be victorious over it. And therefore, his service and his reign is without end, uh, as, as we talk about, like in the catechism, right? You know, that he is risen from the dead and lives and reigns through all eternity, right? And this sign of Melchizedek, the things that seem to be attached to Melchizedek, the signs are pointing to the realities of Christ. Yeah. Not signs of Christ in, in, in shadowiness, but, but real things of Christ. Right. right. Okay, so with those things in mind then, let's keep seeing how the writer of Hebrews talks about Melchizedek. In verse 4, we come back to that thought of tithing, and he points out that the one to whom Abraham gave tithes, that indicates his greatness. So talk about, again, bringing back up the, the tithing and why it's significant that Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek. All right, so the tithe, again, is an act of worship. I think that's, we, we, we don't want to forget that. Um, even, even the offerings we give in, in, in our day is, is an act of worship. Uh, to whom is it given and, and through whom is it given are, are important things to, to remember and, and consider when we do so. In the Levitical system, what you will find in the, in the book of Numbers is that the Lord establishes this. This is, you know, the Levites, they get a tithe in uh, Israel for an inheritance for the, in return for the service that they do. That's the, that's the system that the Lord sets up. But when Abraham is giving this tithe to Melchizedek, is that system set up? No, hmm. it's not there. It, it, it's not by a command that the Lord gives, and yet Abram does it. It's an act of worship that he's doing, an act of worship that will be repeated by his descendants over and over and over and over again. Abram does it, but to whom? He does it to this priest who, who, not a Levite, it is not established under that order, but is a priest of God Most High, worships God Most High, issues blessings from God Most High, 
and speaks rightly about God Most High, that the, that the, that the Lord had given the victory uh, to, to Abram. And, th and this is an act of, 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 the, uh, of the Lord in time when, when Abram rescues Lot uh, and, and, and defeats those Canaanite warlords. And therefore, the Lord is rightly worshipped when Abram gives a tithe through this priest of, named Melchizedek. So how does he continue to draw that point out? I mean, it's hard to take one verse at a time. You almost have to take these these things together. It, I mean, how does how does he continue to draw this thought out about the right worship that Abraham gives to Melchizedek as a priest or with Melchizedek as his priest and what that again teaches us about this order of Melchizedek? Well, I think what you note is that Melchizedek can't have a claim. He, he can't he can't act like the like the Levites later would act and say, you must give a tithe because that's what the Lord says, right? So, so he doesn't have that, which he, which he could um, argue with Abraham. And what's even more interesting is Abraham, we all know when we, when we are talking about who's this group of people who belong to the Lord and, and, and who's the great patriarch of all the people who belong to the Lord, it's Abraham. So we, when you kind of say, who's the greatest? Who, who, who's, who's kind of the top of the, you know, the, the, the top of the pyramid of all the people who are, who are going to be from this line? It's like, it's all from Abraham. And yet this patriarch gives the tithe in an act of worship to Melchizedek. It's, again, he's worshiping the Lord, but, but, but through Melchizedek, this one who is is the priest, uh, kind of the the broker to stand between, if you will, hmm. and that Abraham, with all the promises, all the one who's supposed to be the greatest, is blessed by Melchizedek, and the uh, and the author argues, the author of Hebrews says, we don't see the inferior people, the lower people, blessing the higher ones. No, the blessings come from the superior, the one who is of higher rank, to someone lower. And how is the blessing working in Genesis 14 in this incident? It's not Abraham blessing Melchizedek. It's Melchizedek blessing Abraham or Abram here, the name change hasn't happened sure. yet. Sure. And so who's the superior? Hmm. Who, who is the greater in this little relationship, in this incident? And the argument the author is kind of making is that, well, Melchizedek's the greater, and he's giving the blessing as kind of that go-between between the God Most High and Abram, the great patriarch, in a similar way that when you consider the Aaronic priesthood and the Levitical priesthood, you know, to, you know that really those who are the go-betweens, the, 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 the priests, bless those who are lesser, the, the ones who are giving the tithes, uh, the ones who are seeking the Lord's benefits. And he says, I'm putting Melchizedek right in that same place. That's what the and I and really I'm not doing it. The author's not doing it. Is that is that the, the Lord in the narrative given to us in the books of Moses, and then the statement made about this order of Melchizedek in the Psalter, he's the one who has set this up. 
Right. Right. And again, all of just to kind of keep our bearings within the context of the letter of Hebrews, all of this is to show in the end why Jesus in the order of Melchizedek is superior to those in the order of Aaron, the order of Levi, and is able to be that priest that we actually need that the order of Levi, the order of Aaron couldn't do for us. That's that's where all this is headed. I think it's it's just because sometimes we can get a little lost in the weeds with, with Melchizedek and all these ins and outs of, of how he's showing this about Melchizedek, but that's the whole point of why he's doing it, is to show us ultimately how Jesus is an order a priest in this order, and that makes him the priest that we need. Yeah, and that's gonna be the biggest thing is ultimately when you when you look at the conclusion he's gonna make to this whole discussion at the end of chapter seven, you know, w- which hopefully all our listeners tune in the next next day. Got to keep right? coming. That's right. Got to yeah. keep coming. Come back. Which you'll get. And then later in in the letter, when he starts actually talking about the sacrifice which this greater priest offers, is so so that the order he holds that Jesus holds uh, is greater, and then the sacrifice that he offers is greater. And that's that's really where the author of Hebrews is going with this. Right, right. So now, before we leave that verse 8 behind, that very end, uh, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. Now, again, it's not to say that Melchizedek didn't die, but rather there's no recorded death again. And this is going to be significant when we think about who Jesus is as our high priest, who also lives. Yeah. So again, uh, as you mentioned earlier, when we when we have the priests listed in the books of Moses, um, in the other historical books of the Old Testament, um, even the ones that don't show up in the canon of, of Scripture. So the, the, the priests that the, uh, that the faithful Israelites would have interacted with uh, day by day, year by year, they all know their times of service come to an end. There's always something that's going to bring their service to an end. And, and the the thing that brings all our service to and no no matter what vocation we're we're in at some point is going to be the the physical death and that's going to be the issue and when Aaron dies he can no longer be be priest uh when his sons here actually rebel against yeah. the, the Lord's ways and die now they end up not being priests but they also may have like eternal consequences with their death um, all of Aaron's descendants at some point die and their term of service come to an end. But in this record of Melchizedek, there just is no mention of his end. Again, not because he is immortal in that sense. That, that's not, ha- it's not the way we have to understand it. It's a, it's a claim that Melchizedek is immortal, which again, I think when you look at some of the heretical ideas that other groups came up with, that's where there are that's where they're kind of making again the poisonous hay, as I as I as I mentioned, um, but rather just kind of a, a a type again or a pattern that will that will point to the reality of Christ, mm-hmm. that that when 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 Christ does perform his service, it really is eternal because death has no dominion over him; he is victorious over it. And he is in his service now. And that's going to be a kind of a big thing when we talk about the, 
the, the, the earthly patterns of the things that we see in the book of Hebrews compared to like the heavenly realities, which, which the author will point to and say, yes, there, there are these things that happened on earth and they're pointing to this greater reality that is found in Christ and is going on, is taking place. And that's where your faith needs to be put into. And it really comes to a big thing, quite frankly, kind of in history, that you know, when all the Romans show up in like 80, 68 to 70, surround Jerusalem, then to tear down the temple stone by stone, it's kind of like, uh, yeah, now I kind of see the earthly things that pointed to Christ have come to an end, but the Christ's work actually is eternal and real hmm. and ongoing. Now, move us into to verses 9 and 10. The writer says, One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. So here we, we come back to that thought of tithes, but more specifically connected to Levi now. What's, what's the author saying here? All right, so you got to love the one might even say. that <laughs> Sometimes we uh, have like the... I, you know, it's like the, the pious speculation that some of us ministers do in Bible classes, or we, we have an idea, and, and it, it's not necessarily a wrong idea, but it might not be the strongest argument we'll make. We'll go to something like the clear statements of, of the scriptures, and then everyone's going to be like, yeah, we kind of put this together and this together, and if you think about it this way, we can also kind of make this, you know, sometimes a... a a tertiary point or a quaternary point about something. And it kind of looks like that's what the author of Hebrews is doing. If you think of this, what he's kind of thinking about is, if you consider the Levites themselves, the order um, from which, uh, the tribe from which Aaron will come, the, 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 the one that's going to be established for, for the priesthood, and this whole tribe that's consecrated and, and set aside uh, for service to the Lord, where are they? Well, in the line, in, in the in the in the great genealogy, right? They're the they're the what? The great grandson of Abraham, right? They're descendants of Abraham. Levi first, and then the generation subsequent. And so, in a manner of speaking, if you think about the physical descent of Levi, is like you can almost kind of say that Levi is in the DNA of Abraham, if you will, um, in, in, the, in, in the loins of Abraham, a nice polite way to uh, allude to, you know, the, the human anatomy here. Um, uh, that will be the, the line from, from which, you know, because all humans have fathers and mothers, right, uh, right. Fr from which um, you know, gametes, will, I mean, all, all these things we learn in biology, right? Um, that really, you can kind of say that really kind of like the tribe of Levi is sort of there with Abraham already. Right. And, and who's serving whom here? If it's already in Abraham, is that the Levites are giving the tithe. And in the Levitical system, that's not the way it's set up, right? right? It's, it's, it's uh, the Levites receive the tithe. And yet here, 
in a manner of speaking, or in a way that one might even say, as, as the author says, you got the Levites paying tithes. Right. And if the Levites are paying tithes to Melchizedek, it must be a better order. And that's, that's right. That's that's the rhetorical uh, little flourish argument that's being made there. Right, right. It's it's reapplying then what he said in verse seven. It's beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. So it's it's reapplying that now, but specifically to the thought that Levi is there within Abraham participating in this tithing that's going through Melchizedek. Therefore, the order of Melchizedek is better than the order of Levi. So, Pastor Zimmerman, with those things in place, then the author will continue this argument. As you said, you got to tune in to the next couple episodes to finish this chapter to see where he goes. With about two minutes here, help us to wrap things up on what's been said here, set the stage for, for what is to come, and, and again, remind us of the overall point that the author is making here. Give us Christ. Okay, so the overall point that the, that the author is trying to make is that the superiority of Melchizedek's priesthood compared to the Levitical priesthood is demonstrated in this, in this incident that took place in history between Abraham and Melchizedek. That Abraham gives tithes to Melchizedek, that it's Melchizedek who blesses Abraham, is that Melchizedek has an eternal priesthood, and then in a way of speaking, even the Levites are paying tithes to Melchizedek. And it's setting up this idea of this discussion of Christ's priesthood, that it's a greater one. It's, it's an order greater than the Levitical order. It, it's, it's a priesthood not organized by the Mosaic law. It's a priesthood not inherited by Aaron and Levi. It's a priesthood not limited by human weakness. Again, not because the Old Testament priesthood was unimportant. It's not, it's not because the, the priests of Aaron were irrelevant, but the priesthood of Christ ultimately is better and provides more to the people. And so it is symbolized, typed, if you will, patterned in this person of Melchizedek. And now what we're going to start saying is if that is true, then the ramifications of Christ's permanent priesthood are going to be significant. And they're going to be the ones that, are, that, that establish the foundation of Christian hope of everlasting life, which is what the author wants his, 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 uh, his audience to focus on and grab hold of and never let go and not miss by saying, ah, well, we may have thought this way, but now we're convinced we were all wrong and we're going back to the lesser, which is what the Levitical priesthood um, actually is. That's right. Don't do that. Stick with Christ and the order of Melchizedek, the priest that you need. Pastor Luke Zimmerman is pastor at Calvary Evangelical Lutheran Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. He's been helping us today to study Hebrews 7, verses 1 to 10. Pastor Zimmerman, thanks for being our guest today. Oh, always welcome to do it. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about Hebrews chapter 7, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It is always a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.